to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, January 17th. Day two of the 2023 Australian Open was a day marked by delays, whether it be the delay caused by the smoldering heat seen on the grounds in Melbourne or whether it be the delays caused by rain later on in the night. Either way, we have 22 first round matches that remain either unfinished or yet to begin as we approach day number three of the year's first major. That said, yes, 22 matches still unfinished, but that leaves us 42 other stellar results to talk about here on today's show. There was plenty of action for us to break down here on this podcast. Of course, the biggest headline of the day was the performance of three-time slam champion, former world number one, two-time gold medalist, and the only anointed knight on the ATP tour. Of course, I'm referring to Sir Andrew Murray as Andy Murray's able to capture a captivating five-set victory over 13th-seeded Matteo Berrettini. Of course, That was your biggest upset on the day. The rest of the day, fairly straightforward. Yeah, you had some seeds pushed to the distance, whether it be pushed to the distance. That's how you say that cohesively. Whether it be Jabir, whether it be Alex Zverev, I'll talk about each of those matches here on today's show. Much like yesterday, I've tried to introduce some organization to my day two thoughts by incorporating some awards. Who were the top performers? What were the biggest surprises? What were the most notable results? And then, of course, what were the best watches for all of us tennis fans to go back to as we look back at this year's first major. Of course, I'll try to touch on every result that was able to finish. Again, 42 first-round singles matches ultimately completed, 22 still to go. I'll offer an update on where those matches stand as well. I'll offer my top matches of day three. All of that planned for a jam-packed mini-break episode here today. Of course, before we get to that, I have to give a massive shout-out to all of you listeners who continue to tune in day in day out if you all have any thoughts whether it be of matches you'd like me to cover specifically or whether it be just comments criticism positive affirmation Either way, I always enjoy hearing it. I always enjoy incorporating you listeners and our broader Cracked Rackets family into these shows. So, of course, let us know your thoughts, whether it be at the newly renovated CrackedRackets.com, whether it be on Twitter, social media, at Cracked Rackets, at AL Gruskin. That's where you can find us. Shout out to all of you who continue to tune in day in, day out. Shout out as well to the support we get each and every day from our dear friends at Tennis Point, who provide the best equipment in the tennis business at the lowest price to have access to it all. All you got to do is go to tennis-point.com today. Upon purchase, use our promo code CR15. You'll let them know we sent you there. Plus, you'll get 15% off all sale items. Free two-day shipping on all orders, exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, let's hand out some awards as we look back at day two of this 2023 Australian Open. Let's start with the best women's performances I saw on the day. I think the place you have to start in this category is probably Elisa Mertens. Now, 
it was not always the prettiest tennis in Merton's three-set victory over Garbine Muguruza, but for Merton's to drop the first set 6-3 in the fashion she did. She was just constantly on her back foot. And credit to Muguruza, who earlier this season won a 6-0 set, I believe, over Bianca Ann's rescue as well. She played good tennis in that first set. Also continued that level into the second where she built a 6-5 lead for herself. Muguruza was serving for the match. And then Merton's flips the script and gets much more aggressive in set number two. And you could just tell Muguruza lost the thread. She lost confidence in set number three. Mertens did a great job of getting Muguruza stretched, particularly stretched on the forehand wing, which is the side that will spray on Muguruza. Mertens able to, again, overcome that 6-3, 6-5 deficit, earn a 3-6, 7-6, 6-1 victory. You know, the reason she's first on this list is, look, Elisa Mertens will never be a player who, in my opinion, breaks the top 10. I do think the ceiling is kind of set on her. She doesn't have an elite weapon. Now, she's very good. Not very good, but she's good at everything. A solid forehand, which when given time, she can hit with pace, with depth. She can move around the court, hits through the backhand well, comfortable moving forward. She's a Grand Slam champion in doubles, comfortable uh Serving, obviously, as well. Puts a bunch of returns in play. Is typically right around a top 25 cl- club sort of member, but is never elite in one category nor the other. Merton's 27 years old, sitting around 34, uh, sitting, sitting at 34 in the world right now. It's the 26th seed here at this Australian Open, of course. The big thing for Merton's, what does she do extraordinarily well? win early matches at Grand Slams. Of course, she had the long streak of consecutive third-round appearances at the majors, which started all the way back. You have to go back quite a bit of time. 2018 Australian Open. She made the semifinals there. She made at least the third round of every major between that 2018 Australian Open and the 2022 U.S. Open, where she lost first round in three sets to Arena Camilla Begu, who it's worth noting is now seated at this event. She gets a three-set win over Muguruza to get things back on track. She's defending round of 16 points here at this event. And again, it's a good win for the 27-year-old. It was a win she needed to just get her season headed in the right direction. You look for Mertens uh, so far here in 2023, play United Cup where she got an easy win over Bulgaria's number one. Actually, not an easy win. She went three sets before a 1-5 loss to Sakari. She lost first round Hobart to Zanevska. Uh, this is a nice bounce back, particularly, again, given Muguruza had the opportunity to serve for the set. Now, you look for Garbine Muguruza. I believe she falls outside of the top 80 of the rankings with this result. Muguruza now 11-19 over her last 52 weeks. She's lost five consecutive matches dating back to Tokyo last year where she won her first round against Papa Mikhail before getting knocked out by Samsonova. She's come close in a lot of her opportunities. Three sets against Kanepi, three sets here against Mertens, three sets against Andrescu in Adelaide, three sets against Kvitova at the U.S. Open, three sets against Risk in Indian Wells, three sets against Putenseva in Rome, three sets against Kudermatova in Dubai. It's a confidence thing. You can just see Garbine Muguruza searching for answers out there on court. And if it's perception, if you can perceive it through the television screen, you can only imagine, particularly after hearing some of the insights from this Netflix series Breakpoint, which, of course, we break down over on the Inside Out podcast feed, our breakdown of episode two coming out here today on Tuesday, myself, Gil Gross. 
you could just only imagine what's going through Muguruza's head. Again, 11-19. and 19, She's now lost five consecutive matches. She's now lost first round in uh, three of the last four majors. Garbin Muguruza is 29 years old. Like, this is her age 29 t- season. This should be the tail end of her prime. It, it And it, it's just not right now. It's been a dramatic falloff after, again, I think she was the best player through the first three months of the 2021 season. Had those match points at the Australian Open against eventual champion uh, Naomi Osaka. She was so close to the finish line. That's why this one will sting particularly so for Muguruza, who I wonder, she'll probably get wild cards into every event, right? She's a former slam champion. I think commercial, I don't know if she puts butts in seats, actually. That's a good question. But uh, again, Mertens gets through in three sets. Um, It wasn't that she played her best tennis, though the level certainly got better, and it was a solid level throughout. Honestly, it was pretty good tennis, so that's why she's the first performer I'd mention. The other top performers are probably just the seeds, pretty straightforward. I mean, you give a shout-out, certainly, to a couple of the upsets. We'll talk about that when we get to the surprises, I suppose. But Caroline Garcia... It was 3-all in her match against the qualifier from Canada, Sabov. She then uh, railed off nine straight games, I believe it was, to earn a 6-3, 6-love victory. Once she got a read on the Sabov serve, she was taking it early. And, you know, when she's landing that return on the court, it's just at your feet. And then she's going to pulverize that second ball, which you're going to leave short with her forehand, which she can move anywhere around the court. You look for Caroline Garcia now, uh, was able to win 94% of her first serve points. Now, she only made 42% of them, but win 71% of her second serve points as well. Was not broken throughout the course of this match. You look for Garcia. She's 49-19 and 19 now uh, uh, in her last 52 weeks. 27-7 and seven against opponents ranked outside the top 50 during that stretch. Hasn't lost to a non-top 50 opponent since July 18th when she lost to Lucia Bronzetti in the quarterfinals of Palermo. It's a hell of a run. Hell of a run for Caroline Garcia, who, again, when she beats people, she beats them badly, you know, in, in this consecutive streak. And I believe she's ripped off now something like 14 straight against opponents ranked outside the top 50. She's only dropped three sets in those 14 consecutive victories. When she beats you, she beats you badly. Because if you can't handle the pace that she's playing with in Garcia over the last 52 weeks, the number one server amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour, holding over 80% of the time, the only player you can say that about, she looked the part in her first-round victory. Again, found her form after the first 25 minutes, cruised from there. So she certainly earns top performer status. Belinda Bencic, 1-2 victory over Victoria Tomova. Bencic was unable to make the second week of any slam last season, despite, as I've alluded to, being better in every other portion of the calendar than she had ever been in her career, statistically, put together one of her best seasons. She's also coming off of a title run in Adelaide last week, and how does she follow that up with a 1-2 and two victory over Tomova? That's a notable exceptional performance. I thought Annette Conteve looked really good in a 2-3 and three victory over a very testy Julia Grabert, who's had a lot of qualifying and lower level success over the course of the last six months. She's got some weapons. She's a good athlete. Two well-rounded players, and Conteve was just a little bit better at everything. She looked in form. Samsonova just overwhelmed Paulini. Two and four victory, but Samsonova took a 6-2-4-1 lead before she lost the thread there for a second at the end. Alexandrova, Pliskova, straight set wins as well. And those are two players who are capable of elite power tennis when they're confident playing their best. So you take notice of that. The big winners, the best performers have been the seeds thus far. Only four seeds knocked out 
so far at this 2023 Australian Open on the women's side. And I think all four are fairly understandable. Of course, we'll get into those other two a little bit later of the two who were added to Anisimova, who lost to Kostyuk, who made a semifinal at Adelaide 1, is a former top junior in the world, one of the talents we've had circled for a while, so I don't think that was particularly shocking. And Drescu beating Bozhkova, as we talked about yesterday, not particularly shocking given what Antorescu is capable of. We haven't had a shocking upset so far on the women's side, and typically we do early on in the course of these events, and so that's been notable through this first I'll say day and three quarters of action because, again, we still have 22 first-round matches to finish. But I do think that's notable. It's worth uh, mentioning on the women's side in terms of, again, the best performances on the day. They're all seeds who pretty much hold form throughout the course of day number two, of course, on the men's side. And again, as I alluded to yesterday, early in these tournaments, I'm going to try and touch on everything as opposed to specific match analysis, but I got to do a little specific match analysis, particularly when you look at the top performer on the men's side. It's also the biggest upset you saw on the men's side on the day. And that, of course, is three-time slam champion Andy Murray, 6-3-6-3-4-6-6-7-7-6. He wins 10-6 in the deciding super breaker to knock off Matteo Berrettini now There are four parts to this act. Part one are the first two sets, which Andy Murray wins 6-3-6-3, where he just had Matteo Berrettini completely lost, where Andy Murray executed on his first four shots, you know, in the the shorter rallies, the, the first serve, the plus one ball, the third shot, which was the put away shot. Andy Murray was so effective throughout the first two courts, uh, first two sets of this first round match. And again, he had Berrettini at a loss. Murray can, you know, make 70% of his first serves for the match. You look for him, set number one, Murray comes out of the gate making two thirds of his first serves, drops just 10 points on serve in what I believe was five service games. You know, again, 11 winners, eight unforced errors. He comes to the net six different times, able to capitalize on the one break point chance that he earns. Murray was very specific in his tactics, very repetitive. He attacked Matteo Berrettini exactly as you would expect. Big first serve, ideally to the backhand wing. Then you play the first strike, whether it's to the backhand if Mateo's not camped over, or to the open court to force Berrettini to do something special on the run. Then it opens up a third shot that is usually to a wide open lane. And Murray was effective in executing that game plan repeatedly over, you know, again, just repetitive, the repetitive nature of that Murray game plan. It was very clear. He had Berrettini stretched on that backhand wing. He had Berrettini in disadvantageous positions throughout the Murray service games. Andy was so effective in act one of this match. And, you know, part two of that was how much Berrettini was spraying. You know, Berrettini felt like he had to force the issue. And the unforced errors began to pile up. You look for Berrettini, who makes 12 unforced errors compared to just 10 winners in set number one. Berrettini, 10 unforced errors compared to just nine winners in set number two. In set number two, just, you know, only has to play six points on his second serve, but two of six on second serve points. And he had to play three of them in the game where he was ultimately broken uh, for the first time in this set. You know, again, Murray was just effective. And 
Berrettini's counter was to try and be more aggressive, to try and swing through his problems. And that option wasn't available to him. Not only was Murray more effective in the zero to four shot rallies, but Murray was plus eight through the first two sets in the five plus shot rallies as well. Murray was beating him in every sort of fashion. Berrettini didn't have a lot of answers. But in the third set, things began to click for Medeo Berrettini. And he became just a little bit more aggressive, whether it be stepping up and, you know, taking the second serve on the rise as a forehand, even if that meant stepping very far outside the alley on the ad side. He just was going to set the table with that return. He was going to go for broke because just trying to put the return in play, it wasn't worrying, working. Murray was being too efficient with that uh, first strike tennis he was playing. And so ultimately, it felt like Berrettini, excuse me, was able to start swinging through his problems. He started putting much more pressure on Murray in set number three with his return of serve. He started giving himself a little bit more margin on his first strike as well, being willing to wait till, you know, the third forehand, fourth forehand on the rally to really pull the trigger. I thought he started getting much more aggressive, swinging through his backhand as well in set number three. And look, it's the first set where ultimately he breaks even. 13 winners against 13 unforced errors for the first time. Murray's held under 10 winners in the set. Uh, Murray no bra- uh, 0 for 2 on break point chances. Berrettini 1 for 2 and gets the break, playing some uh, extraordinary defense as well as, you know, Murray had an opportunity to attack, hit a poor swinging volley that Berrettini was able to pass him behind, or, you know, Murray has a look at a diving volley, but the vo- the volley goes long, and that's, of course, Andy at his finest, and we'll get back to Andy in a second. Uh, but at that point, Berrettini found his footing. He found his rhythm, and Berrettini goes unbroken in set number three. We transition to set number four, where he drops just 10 points on serve in six service games, goes unbroken again in set number four, doesn't face a break point, 22 winners against un- uh, 14 unforced errors. Now, Andy didn't face a break point either, and Andy ultimately gets to the breaker, and Berrettini was just a little bit better. Like He had the more replicable weapons. He had the more consistent way to attack Murray than vice versa. His serve, his forehands were the two biggest winners, uh, weapons on the court. That skill set is particularly magnified throughout the course of a tie break where there's less margin for error, where you're down a mini break. Now Berrettini gets two first serves because he had the opportunity to crack a return down the line, and that's what he did in that second, uh, fourth set breaker, excuse me. And now we're in a fifth set. And now Murray goes from two sets to love up, playing the most efficient, ruthless, just, again, it it, it felt like a routine sort of day for Andy Murray with how he had Berrettini broken down. And then all of a sudden, the Berrettini weapons, you know, again, leveled this match. And, you know, then we get to set number five, which was an absolute barn burner. Murray physically pushing himself to the limit, Murray making 75% of his first serves and, you know, just consistently rolling that serve to the Berrettini backhand, occasionally getting Berrettini stretch T only for Berrettini to fire up a sky lob. Murray, again, always a look at that first shot. You know, again, Murray didn't face a break point in that fifth set, you know, had one break point chance himself, was unable to convert to Berrettini's credit. He made 72% of his first serves in that last set, went 23 of 26 on first serve points. He dropped just eight points on serve in that deciding set, uh, 18 winners against 10 unforced errors. But, and this is where we get back to Murray, 
what did he do so extraordinarily well throughout the course of this match? And what has he done so extraordinarily well throughout this final stage of his career? It's his ability to embrace the crowd and to make the atmosphere, the energy, electric and in his favor. And it's not as though the crowd was rooting against Berrettini, but anytime Andy Murray did anything, boy, did the crowd go crazy. And it just felt like they were on the ride along with him and not on the ride along with Berrettini. And look, Murray did a great job, as he has done throughout the course of his career. Whenever he got a look at a Berrettini second serve, he attacked it, took it early on the rise. The biggest difference in this match, Berrettini, 20 of 47 on second serve points. Murray, 35 of 52, so that's 43% versus 67% for Murray. Berrettini, 31 aces in this match. I mean, that was the leveling factor, that ability to win free points and just, you know, there would be 15 alls or 30 all moments, 15, 30 moments where two straight Berrettini aces and now all of a sudden he's got the lead in the game. He connects with a big forehand. It's over. That's why he's such a consistent presence in the biggest stages of the biggest events because that efficiency over the course out of three of five sets, the numbers just ultimately win out. But Credit to Murray, who played the perfect game plan strategically, remained patient enough towards the fifth set, started incorporating the drop shots and just short angles to get Berrettini out of the center of the court, force him to have to hit on the run, which he's good at, but not great. And that's ultimately what allowed Murray to succeed. 7-6 in the third, uh, in the fifth. I mean, just talk about, again, an electric performance out of Andy Murray, who it just feels like, when was the last time he won a big match like this. Certainly he's had some opportunities to do so, right? You look for Murray, who over the past year, 26 and 19 overall, U.S. Open, he beats Sarundolo round one, but loses to Berrettini in a really tight four-set match. You look for him at Wimbledon, loses to Isner in a really tight four-set match. Of course, last year, Australian Open, he beats Basilishvili in five but then the clock struck midnight in his next round match against Taro Daniel. Of course, you go back to 2021, plays Tsitsipas in an incredible five-set match where Tsitsipas ultimately prevails, gets you know a good win over Oscar Ota, but then loses the tight one to Denis Shapovalov. It just feels like it's been a while since Andy's come through in one of these moments, and oh boy, did he come through. It was an absolute delight for tennis fans everywhere. Again, you look for Andy. The numbers certainly look gaudy. He made 70% of his first serves in the match, won 72% of those first serve points, 67% of his second serve points. He was only broken once on five break point attempts, 40 winners compared to the 72 for Berrettini, but 34 unforced errors compared to Berrettini's 59. It was controlled aggression. It was one of those matches where the statistics don't tell the story. Andy had a game plan in each and every point that he played, and he executed it extraordinarily well. He moved better than I've seen him move in a while. That ability to track down the Berrettini plus one forehand and just force him not only to hit one extra shot, but to have to hit two. That's the sort of speed that was on display. And I still question how well he's going to be able to recover. I will say Tanasi Kokonakis, who is his potential next opponent, he knows well. 
it, it's not a dissimilar game plan because Kokonakis wants to be hitting the big serve, the big first forehand and moving forward. So it's it's not too dissimilar from how Murray will have to execute. Although, of course, for Andy Murray coming off of what was what I think ultimately a four and a half hour, four hour, 49 minute match. You do wonder how he'll recover over the course of the next 36 hours. That said, Kokonakis is up two sets to love and I believe up a break in the third, but he has not finished his first round match. That's a match that finishes on day number three. And so for what it's worth, Kokonakis is going to have to play on three consecutive days. He also had a deep run where he played a ton of three set matches last week in Adelaide. It will be fascinating to watch the two do battle. I would probably... uh, It's too soon to lean either way. Again, I need to see how Murray looks physically in that first set. It's a stay away from a betting perspective, but boy, it's always better when Andy Murray is still alive in a slam, and certainly he is alive. He is your top performer, not just on the men's side. He's your top performer on the day, and it's your biggest upset of the tournament thus far. There's only been four on the men's side, four on the women's. Berrettini is the first non well, that's not true because I guess Musetti was the 17th seat. But Berrettini is the first significant seat. The first guy who you look and you say, you know, he's a guy who's made a slam final, multiple quarterfinals or further at multiple hardcourt slams. What was he, a semifinalist here last year before he lost to Nadal? He's the first guy who maybe not – with how good Djokovic is right now, and we'll get to him in a second. Um, he wasn't a – you know, Djokovic is in a tier of his own, but – if you're looking at Tier 2 guys, Matteo Berrettini is always in that conversation. And he's the first Tier 2 player on either the men's or women's side to be eliminated. And it was just one of those nights magical for Andy Murray, who it's worth noting, final note, how does he end the match? Return winner, hits the net cord, trickles over. That's how things finish. For what it's worth, he was up 9-6, not like 9-8. So it wasn't as bad. But for a guy who's had so many injuries and so many things break against him over the course of the past two and a half years, that was the tennis gods just a little kiss on the head for Andy Murray saying, we know what we've done to you, our reward here. Here's the net court on match point. Andy Murray through to round number two, where he awaits the winner of Fabio Fonini and Tanasi Kokonakis. He was your top performer on the day. But again, there are a couple others I want to turn to. Djokovic lost four points in his third set against Carbeas Baena, ultimately a 3-4-0 victory over Novak Djokovic. Yes, I believe it's that left quad that's wrapped right now. He was still sliding around. He was still extending rallies. He was still exploding through balls down the line and taking them early on the rise, and he served extraordinarily efficiently. I mean, again, he's the prohibitive favorite. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's a reason right now DraftKings has him minus 125, which means they think he is still favored against the entire field. And they're right to think so. He's a nine-time Australian Open champion, certainly looked the part in his round one victory against a Carbeas Baena, who extended some rallies, uh, certainly got Novak stretched around the court, but just didn't quite have the weapons to challenge the fourth seed Djokovic through to round number two, where he now awaits the winner of Enzo Kakaud and Hugo Delian, who have yet to begin their round one match. Your other biggest winners on the men's side on the day. I know I'm going to group them here together, but like I said, we're going to keep big picture eye other than the Murray match breakdown. How about the American men? They had a great day on day number two. And yes, this will likely jinx them moving forward, but Fritz... Looked really good through his 6-4-6-2 start. Basilishvili raised his level, started just hitting massively from the baseline, something he has always been capable of doing. Gets Fritz stretched, 
broke Fritz's rhythm. Fritz bounces back, 6-4, victory for the eighth seed. It was the perfect test for Fritz, and after the week off, again, looked good physically, moving well, served fine. It's a good first-round win for Fritz, who advances. Of course, you also had Tommy Paul, who, for some reason, wasn't as big as a favorite, according to DraftKings, as he should have been. Now, Struff looked really good in, in qualifying. Jan Leonard Struff, former top 50 player, his opponent, who has fallen off over the course of the past year. Struff has weapons, but like I said in our Great Shot Podcast Ace of the Day, where I offer my predictions and preview each and every day of this 2023 Australian Open, uh, that podcast available wherever you listen to your shows or over on our website, CrackedRackets.com, Tommy Paul just has the athleticism to absorb that first strike. And there's clearly a disciplined aggression now in Tommy's game. He goes after the forehand more frequently. He's always been explosive with his backhand wing. He's always been a comfortable volleyer. Tommy, 6-1, That second set got testy. But once he got that, you knew he was taking the third with just how hot the day was, how defeated Struff seemed to be. Big win for Tommy. Big win for J.J. Wolf. Tons of delays in this match. But a 6-3-3-6-6-4-7-5 win for Wolf, who... His serve and forehand are oftentimes the biggest weapons on the court, and that always means something. And boy, did he execute them well. I thought the backhand was actually his more consistent wing yesterday, which is surprising to say, given the trajectory that side has taken, but that's a testament to his continued development. Big win for JJ, who now with this victory up to number 61 in the live rankings. By the way, Tommy Paul currently sitting uh, at number... I just missed him, but leave this in. Super producer Daniel Westhoff. Tommy Paul currently sitting at number 34 in the live rankings is the 25-year-old. It really wouldn't shock me to see him make a top 20 push at some point here in this, especially because a lot of his points are loaded towards the back half of the season. So if he has a good Indian Wells or a good Miami boy, is there a lot of room for Tommy Paul moving forward? Uh... Again, Wolf, though, four-set winner over Thompson. Good day for Americans versus the Australians as Brooksby, 3-6-6-2-6-3-6-2. He advances over O'Connell again for Jensen Brooksby, who went 12-11 and in first-round matches last year. He's 38 in the live rankings. Just another good first-round win. You feel like he's going to be competing in at least second, third rounds at slams. He's just always going to be in the mix at these hard-court slams over the course of the next decade. Such a tough out. I think we're all looking forward to that round two matchup between Jensen Brooksby and Kasparu. Jensen, I mean, Kasper lost his first match in three sets. Jensen looked pretty good before running into Cam Norrie in Auckland last week. I think that match goes four. I think that match is a battle. I think it gets physical. I think it's really fun. Uh, again, we'll keep our eye on that Brooksby route round two match. Brooksby through in four sets over O'Connell. And then we got to give a shout out, of course, to our guy, Ben Shelton, who earns his first career slam victory. Shelton, 4-6-6-3-6-2-2-6-7-6 winner over, uh, over Zhang, the talented first and first man from China to crack the top 100 of the ATP rankings. Always feels notable and worth Worth describe, worth saying. Um, anyways, Shelton wins seven six in the fifth, and I do think there's something to the way these college guys. You saw it with Rinky Hijikata on day one. Shelton here on night number two. They just know how to play the big moments, and Rinky played a ton of them. National indoor champion at North Carolina, Shelton NCAA singles and team champion at Florida. His ability, to, both ability to of the guy's ability to embrace the crowd, to get them on their side, to capture that energy, to use that energy and create the momentum alongside of it. 
Obviously for Ben, his serve, his first forehand remain exceptional now. When pushed by pace, that forehand backswing gets exposed. And Ben, oftentimes you'll see him camping six, seven feet, sometimes even further behind the baseline to give himself time to swing through the ball. But then he explodes through the ball. Then you leave something short and he explodes moving forward, so confident hitting the overhead. I think the volleys can get better, but he certainly knows where he's going and what to do when he's up there. Again, four six six three six two two six seven six. Hell of a way to earn your first slam victory. And again, how many points is Ben Shelton in, uh, defending until the start of June? Zero points. Zero points. Everything is added to Ben Shelton, who is now up to number eighty-one with his first-round victory. Credit to the twenty-year-old American, twenty-one-year-old American now, twenty-year-old American. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure he's an O two, and I was correct. October O two, twenty-year-old American approaching the ATP top 75, really in his first year of full-time ATP tour play. You know, again, Djokovic, the Americans, Murray. Got to give a shout-out to Rublev just because he won in straight sets over Dominic Team. Simply put, Team wasn't ready for the pace that Andre Rublev provides, point in, point out. Too many slices from Team. They provided too much time to Rublev, who capitalized on all of that time. So those were your best performances on the day. In terms of the biggest surprises, we'll start on the women's side. Two upsets, Shmidlova, 3-2 and two over Trevisan, Burrell, 3-6-7-6-6-1 over Kai Kanepi. Kanepi served for the match up 6-3-5-4. The Kanepi loss is a shock, although, again, there's this r- – rumor's the wrong word. There's a line of thought. That's the term I was looking for. There's a line of thought that Kanepi unseated, extraordinarily dangerous. The moment you look at for Kanepi in her history when she's been seated, that's when the early round losses come at the majors. Statistically, it's not that clean, but – it's it there's not a, a not there's not not a correlation. And so I'm not saying there is a correlation, but again, there's not not a correlation either. Burrell's a good athlete. She moved well. She was able to absorb a lot of the first blows, and it took her a while to become accustomed to the Kanepi pace because boy can Kanepi hit through the ball. But Burrell was just ready for the Australian heat. And obviously she is Australian. She was a late addition to the draw. She played really well. Credit to Burrell, who, again, I, I didn't love. It kind of reminded me of the game of Joe Conta, where I don't love the backhand. I didn't love the forehand, but she's pretty solid. Pretty solid. Not good, but pretty solid on both wings and just was athletic enough in these conditions to stretch Kanepi, change direction well enough, absorb pace well enough to get through. Burrell, uh, a massive win for her. You look by earning this win, which I believe is her first victory uh, at a slam in her career. You look for Burrell, and I apologize if I've gotten that wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right there. Uh, Up to number 149 in the live rankings, new career high for the 24-year-old from Australia. Your other upset on the day, Shmidlova, a 3-2 win over Martina Trevisan, who was unable to bring her United Cup form here to uh, this 2023 Australian Open. Now you look for the 28-year-old Shmidlova, who has a career high of number 26, she just moved. She absorbs pace better on the backhand than the forehand wing. I think she moves pretty well, though not exceptional. Uh, she did a great job of forcing Trevisan to have to create on her backhand side, and Trevisan got impatient, played too many slices, which Schmidlova was able to explode through. She was pretty solid moving forward into the court as well. Again, 
I think this it, this match has more to indicate about what Trevi Sun's baseline level is on a hard court. It's just a little bit harder for hit to, for her to hit through them. That forehand sits up, and Shmilova did such a great job of taking her backhand a little bit early, using the topspin Trevi Sun provided to redirect that ball with pace, and Trevi Sun's topspin to give Trevi Sun troubles. Shmidova played a, a, a sound match. She just, a, again, she forced Trevisan to have to hit an extra ball at every rally, and Trevisan got impatient. So it's a 3-2 and two win for Shmidova to advance to round number two. Again, on the women's side, like Trevisan, Buskova, who lost to uh, Andrescu, Anisimova, who lost to Kostyuk, and Kanepi. Kanepi's probably the most shocking of the group, which speaks to how consistent this Australian Open has been thus far on the women's side. Now, that doesn't mean there weren't surprises yesterday, and perhaps my biggest surprise was the own Jabur scoreline. Jabur, a 7-6-4-6-6-1 victory over Tamara Zidanzik. I thought Jabur's ability to just force Zidanzik to do anything but hit her forehand with her feet set, I thought it would be too much for Zidanzik to handle, but Zidanzik found answers. And the biggest thing for me was physically. She outdid Jabur through the first two sets of this match. She was willing to go 10, 15, you know, 20 plus balls in the rally. And you actually look throughout the course of this match, it was about 50 50. I'd say 60% of the rally went zero to four shots, but 40% were five plus. And especially in early sets, Zidancic played Jabur fairly evenly. She was, you, you know, you look for Zid, uh, Jabur, excuse me, she went 51 points that went five plus shots. Zidancic won 43. Like over the course of a three set match, a nine point difference is significant enough for Jabur to ultimately get through. But, you know, again, you look at that match in the third set, six of those nine came in uh, of the nine in the gap came from the third set. So, you know, Jabur was plus three in that category through the first two sets. That was unexpected, and that's a testament to, again, how well I thought Zidancic held up physically. She did an excellent job of moving Jabur around the court with her first strike, and again, big picture, Jabur plus eight in the zero to four shot rallies, but Zidancic was actually plus two in that category in the first set, plus three in that category in set number two. Zidancic was just really effective in forcing a Jabur who clearly is not quite physically right right now to have to consistently play on the run, to not allow her to set her feet, get into her patterns. Now, credit to Jabur, who made just 46% of her first serves in this match. She still found ways to be aggressive. She still found ways to you know, hit 28 winners to Zidancic's 11. And ultimately, that was the biggest thing, is outside of a really well-placed forehand, Zidancic did not have a way to win uh, points for herself repetitively, easily, Um and yes, she got Jabur stretched, but ultimately Zizancic wasn't able to sustain that level for the additional half hour that she needed, which would have been that third set, which ultimately Jabur pulls away uh, in 6-1. Look, it was a good test for Jabur early in this event. Again, exactly what she needs coming off of the physical issue she had week one of the year. And, you know, again, she held up pretty well physically, was able to absorb the first blow of Zidancic, ask the question... Uh, as the match went along, and ultimately she had the she was the one with the legs left to come the two hour seventeen mark of this match, which is when it ultimately finished. 
It was a surprise, though. I mean, again, to see Zidanezic push Jabir, I suppose it's still a surprise to see Jabir not look entirely healthy, and I do think that's something to note as we continue to progress through this event. But uh, again, credit to Zidanezic, fought hard. Jabir, though, 7-6-4-6-6-1 victory for the number two seed. I thought that was a surprise on the day. Uh, again, you look at some of the other ones. Layla Fernandez, seven five six two. She had very little rhythm. She went down quickly. I think it was a quick two zero deficit. Taking on Alize Cornet, who of course is just going to ask every question of you. Extend the rally. Take the ball early and change direction on you. Just make you uncomfortable. Take away the thing you want to do. And Fernandez found her rhythm. And it was Fernandez. It was a reminder, particularly in in the back half of set one and through the early stages of set two, how creative Fernandez can be on court. Her ability to find angles, work you down the line, incorporate the drop shots, incorporate the slices and the lobs. It's kind of esque. I think there's a lot of parallels between the two of their games. Um, again, Layla played really well. She found her footing. She became slightly more patient. She just opened up the court for herself extraordinarily well. Cornet did not have a weapon to disrupt Fernandez's rhythm. Layla, ultimately, the straight set victory 5-2. and two. It was surprising in the sense that Layla's been injured. We haven't seen this level from her in a while. And Cornet wasn't at her best, but Fernandez was working her by the end of set two. And that's a concerning development, obviously, if you're the rest of the draw. And look, we've got a blockbuster coming up next as Layla Fernandez is going to take on fourth-seeded Caroline Garcia. So certainly nice to see Fernandez playing her best. Two other, I suppose, quick surprises. Camilla Georgi, 1-0 over Pavlochenkova. Who knew what to expect from that match? Two players who haven't played a ton of tennis of late. Obviously, Georgi going off the off-the-court standal after the false vaccination documents were revealed. 0-1-1. That's nuts. I mean, again, it was a surprise. And then Pliskova winning 1-3 over Wang Shiyu. I mean, 1-3. Uh, when Pliskova is in in her form, she's a top 10 server, perennially, ability to play on her front foot. When she's in the center of the court, she moves the ball well. She can play with elite pace. Again, she's not a good mover, but she didn't have to do much of that. She was on her terms, and that's a concerning thing for the rest of the draw. So I was a little surprised by how how impressive her form was. Again, Fernandez, Georgie, Pliskova, your two upsets on the day, Shmilova, Burrell, and then the own Jabir support uh, performances would probably be my biggest surprises on the women's side. On the men's side, biggest surprises. Probably start with Zverev because it was twofold surprising. Zverev ultimately a 4-6-6-1-5-7-7-6-6-4 win over my birthday brother Juan Pablo Varias, born the same day the tennis gods were like, you will have the gift of playing tennis, you will have the gift of talking about it. Um, Juan Pablo Varias played great. The serve is surprisingly snappy. He moves well, absorbs pace well, and changes directions well in the backhand. When he has time to explode through the forehand, it's great, but it can be attacked by pace. But what was so remarkable about this match, Zverev again, a 4-6-6-1-5-7-7-6-6-4 victory, was how familiar it felt watching Alex Zverev struggle through this early round play at a major. And again, ultimately, Zverev was victorious. And you could tell the moment he broke two open set number two that he was going to find a way through this match, even if it got very testy at the end of that fourth set. But you ultimately look for Zverev. Five double faults. 
they all came early in the match, particularly, uh, or, and, the, and they all came late in sets. I think he had a wave of two of them in the game. He was broken in that final set of uh, in the at the end of set number one. I think he had two more of them in the final game where he was broken in set number three. Did hit 21 aces, though. Made 74% of his first serves, won 83% of his first serve points. 69 winners against 46 unforced errors, 25 of 32 at the net. Again, statistically, it's going to look good because there were moments when Zverev looked good, when he landed the first serve, when he was able to dictate with his first strike and be the one, even when he had to move a little bit out of the center of the court, but just be the one playing on his terms. He looked like Alex Zverev of old. Now, when he was forced to move into the outer thirds, he was at least a half a step slow. I actually thought it got better as the match progressed. I thought at the beginning he was a full step slow, and you could just tell his timing was completely off when having to hit the on-the-run forehand. He had to slice out of the backhand corner instead of driving through that ball, which is the ultimate sign that you don't have full confidence in your movement when you're stretching and hitting the slice instead of driving through like Zvira was doing so frequently pre-injury. He's not quite back yet. And yet the rhythms of this match, he has a million break points. He's unable to convert. He gets tentative in the biggest moments. The double faults begin to appear. And yet through all of that, he's clearly the guy with more options as a tennis player. It was just everything we've come to expect from an Alex Zverev match at the majors. And look, a credit to Zverev as he has so frequently over the course of the past few seasons, he ultimately progresses. And look, he's going to play the winner of Michael Moe and Laurent locally, a lucky loser versus a qualifier. It's third set right, uh, fifth set right now. Mo from two sets to love down, I believe now up a break in the fifth. But talk about two guys who will certainly be gassed, much like he was. They're also going to have to spend over four hours on court. How does Zverev bounce back? He said after the match, or as he's looking at his box, he's pointing to his head and he mouths, "It's all my head. It's all in my head." Well, if it's all in his head then this was a much-needed win for Zverev moving forward. But again, it's the fact that the same issues continue to appear. I don't know if that's a big sign for him moving forward or not. But that he did get through is a little bit of a surprise because he hasn't looked great of late. And yet the real surprise is how similar that match felt two times of old. So credit to Zverev. That's your most, uh, I would say, significant result on the men, or maybe even a surprise on the men's side. Certainly maybe the most significant, and we'll get to more of those later. I mentioned Murray. Beating Berrettini, that was a surprise. Nicolas Yari with the straight set upset, 6-3, 6-4, 7-6 over Miomir Kasmenovic. Now, shout out to Yari, who, much like myself, Juan Pablo Varias, was born in October 95. He was a top 50 player. He's made a second week at a slam, was obviously hit with a PED suspension, is working his way back. But he's a big guy, 6-5, 6-6. His forehand, his serve are imposing. He moves well for his size, can hit through the backhand, even if he can get inconsistent and you know, obviously doesn't want to hit on the run. It's, it's bootleg Kevin Anderson. When I look at Nicolas Yari and bootleg Kevin Anderson is a top 50 guy. And again, it was just on his terms. He overwhelmed Kesmenovic and with the speed of these courts, the heat outside yesterday, Kesmenovic just wasn't able to earn enough free points. He had to work so hard in every return game just to try and be competitive. And then again, Jari would smack a winner and force an easy first error off of a return throughout through multiple return games. It just felt like Kesmenovic was always at a deficit. He'll lose a ton of points with this result. In fact, you look for me, Amir Kesmenovic, actually only down five ranking spots. He's sitting at number 32, but he's got a lot of points to defend over the course of the next two months and to lose fourth round points at a major. Never nice for the resume. Still, most surprising, certainly Nicolas Yari with your second upset of the day in straight sets. And again, 
Berrettini losing to Murray maybe makes it less shocking, but that's your biggest upset on the men's side. Musetti losing in five to Harris, not that shocking given his injury at United Cup. Chorich losing in straights was surprising, but that it was to Lechechka, maybe a little less so. Kasmenovic losing to Yari, surprising, but not shocking. It's been a pretty stable first two days of action on the men's side as well. So, you know, again, my other biggest surprise has to be a seed who won. Diego Schwartzman has not looked good. He's under 500 on hard courts at the ATP level over the course of the past year, and yet clearly banged up as well, heavily taped thigh, and he's able to grind out a 6-4, 6-7, 6-3, 7-6 win over the qualifier, Kruczyk. I believe is how you pronounce his name. I definitely butchered that. I apologize. But Schwartzman able to grind his way through. And guess what? You win your first round of the slam, it's $100,000 in your pocket. That's going to feel good to anyone to start the season. Schwartzman, uh, a much-needed first-round victory. I will be shocked if he completes his second match, though, as he looks very, very banged up to begin 2023. Uh, those were your biggest surprises uh, on the day. Let's get to the most significant results here. Now you look on the women's side. I always feel like Sabalenka is vulnerable in the first weeks. You never know when the 20 double faults or 15 are going to creep in or when she'll have one of those moments where the forehand is just not finding the court. She loses the concentration, loses the thread. That was not the case. Straight set win for Sabalenka. That's significant because she wins the first week in Adelaide. If she's playing her best tennis, she is the number two contender behind Iga Sviantec for the title. Linda Fruvertova, a first-round victory in straight sets. Of course, you look uh, for Fruvertova. Fruvertova, she continues her ascension up the WTA rankings with this win. Fruvertova up to a new career high. Number 70 is the 17-year-old. As I say, and yes, it's in jest, but still not eliminated from the greatest of all time conversation. 17-year-old into a second round of the Australian Open. Not too shabby for Fruvertova, who next up is going to take on Kimberly Barrow. Wow, first third round, very, very possible for the 17-year-old, and she makes the third round. Now she'll jump all the way up to number 62 in the live rankings. Uh, it's just significant because, again, you feel like when she gets inside the top 50, I don't know when Fruvertova is going to fall out of it from there. The other significant wins, I mentioned Pliskova already. How about Taylor Townsend, who just gives Diane Perry the the business, the former world junior number one, one in one over Diane Perry. You look for Townsend with the win. She's back up to number 118 in the live rankings. If she can get one more, she's up to number 107. Townsend going to take on a Katarina Alexandrova in the next round. Look, the lefties just got game. And oh my God, her high loopy forehand and ability to find the angle cross court to that Diane Perry one-handed backhand and just her ability to move that ball so well with her serve plus one game. Her variety gave Perry fits. And again, Townsend just provided no rhythm to Perry, one and one for the American. It's just great to see her playing great tennis because if you know Taylor Townsend's story, she's had to go through so many different things. And boy, she has always been an extraordinary talent. Nice to see that talent turn into such a clear-cut result here in the first round of this Australian Open. And then shout out Katie Volleynets, the former USTA San Diego Girls 18s champion, 3-2 and two over Rodina. Volleynets has done it the hard way. She has worked her way up the 25Ks, 60Ks, 80Ks, 125Ks, and now she's into the Australian Open second round for the first time, the 21-year-old into the top 100, number 99 now in the live ranking. She just makes a million balls. Again, same coach growing up as Jensen Brooksby. Uh, certainly uh, 
certainly you can see the resemblance in their games. And again, uh, I think she's just a really fun contrast to many of the opponents that she faces. So I'd say that's my three most significant results, or excuse me, my five most significant results on the women's side. On the men's side, already talked about Rublev, Zverev, Tommy Paul. How about Alex Diemenauer, who I just think this is a big year for. If we want, If he wants to be considered one of the elite guys moving forward. Not tier two or three, because he's always going to be in the mix. Round of 16s at the hard court slams, maybe even quarterfinals if draws break right. But can he break through that? Can he be considered an unequivocal, dare I say, tier two guy where you think, okay, no, he could get to the quarters every time, semifinals, finals, maybe even in the cards for him. Certainly physically, he can do those things. The serve has gotten bigger. The first forehand, a more aggressive Two, two, and three win. Strong start for him against Sue. I am fascinated to see how Demonauer performs uh, throughout the course of this draw because you look for Alex Demonauer moving forward. He's going to take on the winner of Isner Manorino, who are still finishing their match. He's got Carreño Busta in his immediate section. He can win that match. He probably should win that match. I think Carreño Busta beat him at the U.S. Open last year. That's a match Demonauer's got to win to get to the second week of this slam if he wants to still be considered in that elite guys moving forward conversation. So great start for Demon. Straight set win. I mean, again, yeah, Demon, Zverev, for him to get a win under his belt, he needed it. Paul, Rublev, those are the guys most significant, I would say, on day number two. Now, what were the best watches on day number two, at least for me? I really like the Conteve Grabert match. I just thought it was two good athletes, two well rounded players, physical points, good shot making. They were both fun. Layla over Cornet, whenever Layla's in her bag of tricks, I love it. Townsend over Perry. Ugh, the variety of Taylor Townsend is always a delight. And then I'd go Murray, because come on, that's what it's all about. Shelton, the energy, the explosion. Absolutely delightful. I would say those were the best watches on day number two. But again, in terms of the other results we have on the board, and uh, certainly I know I've touched on many of them already, but you look on the women's side, you had th- uh, four matches go the distance on the day. Burrell over Kanepi, Jabur over Zidanzik, Mertens over Muguruza, and then Putenseva, the three-set win over Kirstea. You also had straight-set wins out of Veronica Kudermatova, two and six over the always tricky, tough litmus test, puts ton of balls and play in Zinevska. It's a good win for Kudermatova. Good win uh, for Shelby Rogers. Straight sets over former NCAA singles champ Hartono. You got wins from Martich as well. Look, veterans are veteraning. Like it, it feels like there's some stability. It's not a shock to hear any of these names that have come through. It's not a shock to hear Putensev and Kirstea went three sets, right? That felt like it was going to be a three-setter. And for the record, we've seen 10 of them so far on the women's side. On the men's side, the other significant, uh, excuse me, the other results, I suppose, all of them significant to some extent, but the other results we saw on the day that I've yet to touch on the five setters. We've had uh, five more of them, so we're currently up to 13 five set matches so far. I mentioned Murray. I mentioned Zverev, Davidovich, Fokina. How about this? 6-0, 6-7, 3-6, 6-4, 6-3 over Bublik in a match that looked exactly like you'd expect. Shelton, the 7-6 in the fifth win. And then Alexi Popperin, 4-6-7-6-6-7-7-6-6-1. is very streaky. His serve, his forehand were the biggest weapons on the court. But man, Jason Sun just puts a million balls in play. He's a really fun contrast. It's not Katie Volley. It's pretty Volley Nets-esque. And again, he can explode through a forehand if you give him time. He's not the biggest guy, but he's pretty quick. 
it was just a fun contrast of styles. It wasn't the cleanest tennis, but it was certainly fun tennis. Those were your five setters on the day. You also had a four-set win from Casper Ruud. Still not playing his best, but again, did enough in a tricky win over Thomas Maicek, who was good to see healthy once again. You had uh, Holger Runa, straight sets over Krajinovic. Nice bounce back win from the Dane after a tough start to his season. Cranio Busta in straight sets. Evans, a four-set win. And then shout out Grigor Dimitrov. No expectations for the Bulgarian entering this event. Yet a good win, 6-5-2 and two over Karatsev. Those first two sets, certainly what decided the match. In this heat, you also had four-set wins from Jeremy Chardy, Laszlo Jur, and Benjamin Bonzi, who bounces back. Tricky match, 4-6-6-3-7-6-6-4 over the rising Italian Bellucci. Uh, with that in mind, I mentioned 22 matches still to be played or finished on from day number two. On the women's side, you've got 12 still to go. Currently in play, Claire Liu leads Madison Brangle 4-2. How about this? Ali Risk 4-1 on Marquette of Andrusova. Andrusova, a lot of people's dark horse candidate entering the event. Davis up 4-1 in the third on Kovinic. Vekic, Select Mateva 6-all in the third. Super breaker. To decide that one, you also have Kasakina Gracheva, Haddad Maya Parises Diaz, John Teague, Begu Mandlik, Stefanini Maria, Bronzetti Siegemund, Stevens Potapova, and Sharif Lynette still to play on the men's side. 10 matches remain unfinished. RBA set lead on Souza. Kokonakis 6-1-6-2-4-2 on Fodnini. Rusvori, Purcell, four set, four set breaker coming. Rusvori up two sets to one. Cressy uh, currently up two sets to one. Two all in the fourth against Ramos Vinolas. 3-1 Mo in the fifth against locally. Isner up a set and 3-4 on Manorino. Vukic, uh, excuse me, Brandon Holt up 4-2 in the third. One set apiece against Alex Vukic. And then Ugo Umbert. 2-1, first set against Richard Gasquet. You also have Kudla, Safilin, Kakao Delian still to play. With that in mind, that's your look at day two of the 2023 Australian Open. Now, outside of the first round matches still to be played, the fun matches I like most on day number three. And boy, are there some gems. On the women's side, I mean, Goff Radicanu. Come on now. 2021 U.S. Open champ versus 2022 French Open finalists. They're both under the age of 21. This could be a fun rivalry over the next decade, folks. I will be buckled in. You've got a lot of good ones. Collins, Mukova, two veterans. Both have made semifinal or further runs here in Australia. Let's see how healthy Collins is. Let's see how healthy Mukova is. I think the talented 18-year-old Russian lefty, Diane Schneider, has the weapons to give Sakari some trouble. You know I've always been a Yuvan bandwagoner. Her versus Rabakina is interesting. Chin Wen versus Para. Kavitova Kalanina. Pagula Sasnovich. Sviantek Osorio. A lot of good day three matches. If you're asking me to rank my top three, I'd go Gofrad Akanu, Collins Mukova, Sakari Schneider. Those would be my top three women's matches. On the men's side, I like the women's slate better on the top half of the draw. But on the men's side, Tiafo Jerry Shang, I'm all in on that match. Hercot Sinego for the veterans. Korda Watanuki for the nerds. Nadal McDonald, of course. Tsitsipas Hijikata. Energy in that match is going to be electric. FAA Molchan, Eubanks Lachetchka, Botik Griekspoor. All interesting. If you're asking me top three Tiafo Sheng, Tsitsipas Hijikata has to be in the top three. <sighs> Heart says Kordowatanuki, head says Nadal McDonald. Let's go ahead with the head and Nadal McDonald for day number three. But again, 
A lot of good action moving forward. And, of course, we'll be back here each and every day to recap it all. We've got preview content over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Episode 2 of Breakpoint broken down over on our Inside Out podcast feed. So we're rocking and rolling here at Crack Rackets. As we know, it's our job to provide all of you tennis fans with the most up-to-date information on everything happening in the tennis world. How are we able to do that? Because of the endless work of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who day in, day out has a f- of an energy job to do a shout out as well to our friends over at tennis point remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 with all of that said for our fantastic super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone <laughs>